Good morning. We welcome you. I think maybe even have a couple for the first time. We're glad you're here. And we welcome you and ask you to come back and get to know us. A couple quick announcements before we begin. Incidentally, didn't you like singing Jesus Loves Me? Wasn't that good? Uh, haven't sung that for a long time. A couple quick announcements. The Where is Dwight? Dwight, why don't you make that uh, word clear for the group that meets at your house? February 17th, coming Saturday at 5 o'clock, and it is where? At At their house. Okay, if you you do not know Dwight, they live east, and uh, he can give you directions and tell you where they are. So see Dwight if you're interested in the meeting that goes on at their house. Um, Any other announcements you guys need to bring? Carrie. Okay, thank you. A lot of work goes into that. Thank you, Jen, and those who helped sort it. Any other real quick announcements? Okay, you know, we have been in 1 Corinthians now for a number of months. I I do not remember exactly, but I'm thinking we're in about our seventh month. And we are now in our third session on 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Next week, Nate has the challenge of finishing out 1 Corinthians 15. And as we've worked through it, one thing has become clear. We could have spent 10 weeks in 1 Corinthians 15 very well. It's the resurrection chapter of the Scripture. Uh, Great chapter, a lot to be said. And we have some huge chunks that we're trying to cover in one session, and and that's not an easy thing. But this morning, as we look at, starting at verse 12, down through... 34. When I read this, the thought that came to mind, the much overused old phrase that good news and bad news. And so that's what this passage talks about. And I always like to get the bad news out of the way first, don't you? And that's what it does. It gets the bad news out of the way first. Then it goes into the good news. And trust me, the good news is really, really good news. Starts at verse 20. Don't hedge. Don't jump ahead of me. So beginning at verse 12 in just a moment, as I read it, I'm going to read it a section at a time, read 12 through 19, and as I read it this section, listen for the, the phrasing that we use all the time, if and then. If is a conjunction, you know, it's a, it's a conditional conjunction, a little short word, but it carries a powerful impact, and usually if implies a then. Usually there's a then that follows the if. And the then is, I think, also a conjunction. It's probably a conjunctive adverb. Would somebody help me with that? I think probably from my long-ago English grammar. But I believe it's also a conjunction, used as a conjunction, a connective word, but it fulfills the condition of if. We do that all the time, right? Sometimes in our homes we do it in a positive way. Parents, do you ever say to your kids, and kids, have you ever heard them say, uh, if you clean your room, then I will give you some ice cream, right? That's a good thing. I, I don't have any ice cream. Don't get excited. 
Um, or they, you might say, uh, if you are good while we're in the store, I will buy you something, right? If and then. And then sometimes it's not so good. Uh, I've heard this phrase around my home with grandkids, and I've probably used it a few times, but if you do that to your brother one more time, then I'm going to knock you into next week. You know, something like that. You ever hear that kind of thing? Kids, you ever hear anything like that? Or if you do not stop pounding on that table, then I'm going to, what might the penalty be? Okay, I'm going to send you to bed for the night, right? But the worst of them are the ones that they don't fill in the then. Do you ever have that happen at home? If you do not stop that, and it just just stops there, you know, and the implication is it's going to be really, really nasty. Well, the if and then is all the way through here, and it's used about seven times in this section. But really, there's not a lot to say about it, because as we read it, it explains itself. So you ought to be happy for that, that we can read through it, and you'll get the sense of if and then. But before we read it, let's ask the Lord for help. Huh? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we have before us uh, described as 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What a great chapter. What a great section. What a great assurance we have before us. Lord, I pray that as we read your word, that it would speak to us that we'd understand, Lord, why you have put this before us. We'd understand it in a way that it would drive our lives and that we'd love you more, serve you better, and reach out to a world who desperately needs you. God, would you help us this morning? And help us, Lord, to clear our thoughts and our minds and overcome the stammering lips of a speaker. And, Lord, speak into our hearts through your word, through your spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Something we don't often do. But let me ask you, as we read 12 through 19, would you stand with me this morning? If you can. If you don't feel up to it, that's fine. Stay seated. But if you can. Reading 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 12. Again, listen to the if and the then. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? I'm going to pause there just long enough for a little explanation. The church at Corinth was made up primarily of pagans, we think, but there were some Jews there. Some of the Jews did not believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees, one of the leading groups, didn't believe in a resurrection at all. They certainly didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. Many of the pagans did not believe in a bodily resurrection. They believed that the Bible was inherently evil. I mean that the body was inherently evil and that there would be no resurrection. So he's dealing with a local problem again in the church at Corinth. He said, how can some of you say there's no resurrection if Christ is raised from the dead? And he's just given all the evidence for Christ's resurrection. We looked at it last week. Let's read on. Pick it at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if 
Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. That's bad news. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are most people to be pitied. You can be seated. Thank you. Um, we're all people most to be pitied. So is that bad news or what? Can you imagine living with a personal reality that there's nothing beyond this life. Can you imagine it? It reminds me of a song that is uh, probably one that some of you will recognize. It, it's one of the most futile songs I've ever heard. It originally was made popular by Peggy Lee way back when I was a kid. But I think others have sung a Bette Midler sang it. And then there's others who have popularized it through, through the years. And usually the verse is spoken, and then only the refrain is sung. So that's usually when you hear it. You, have, you getting a sense of what I might be talking about yet? Greg knows. Uh, it, if that's all there is, is the song. Now, you remember it? Listen, let me read a little bit of it. It says, if, if that's all there is, if that's all there is, my friend... Then let's keep dancing. Break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. And when I read these verses, I think in those terms, if the resurrection isn't real, we are sure wasting a whole lot of time and money, and we've invested our life in a lie if the resurrection isn't real, because it is the bedrock core of our faith. And then listen to the frustration, and I can hear Peggy Lee, and actually I did, I listened to it, I cheated, but I listened to it this week, and I can hear her saying these lyrics in her, in her sad, melancholy voice. I know you must be saying to yourself, if that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, if that's all there is. Is that a terrible lyric or what? Isn't that sad? If that's all there is to life, then let's just keep dancing. Break out the booze and have a ball. And, and that's what he lays out in this passage. It's that kind of a mood that's established. Because if Christ is not risen, we have no foundation for our faith whatsoever. It is the core of our faith. Jesus got uh, the body that was glorified by the Father, and he came out of that grave with it. And then in a moment, we're going to see the implications of that. We're going to see why it's so important to us. And next week, Nate is going to finish out this chapter. And he's going to flesh out even more why it's so important to us. But 
the if and then out of this is discouraging and disheartening. If Christ is not raised, our preaching is vain and empty. We're telling you a lie. Go play golf. If, if the resurrection isn't real, you need to do something else on Sunday morning. You're wasting your time. And I'm wasting my time, big time. Uh, I'd probably sleep in or find something to do if the resurrection isn't real. If the resurrection isn't real, then I'm still in my sins. I have no hope of salvation. And the grave is it. People have always known in every culture, in every society, that the grave is not it. They've always believed it, that there's something beyond the grave. They've known it. I, I think it is something God's put in us all to understand that there's more than this life. There's more than what we see. Those last couple verses, if the dead aren't raised, then not even Christ is raised. If Christ isn't raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I think I'm going to go play in traffic now. Right? I'm going to go bite tires or something because I can't live with that. I can't live with that. You know, one of these days, Myrna and I talk to each other about things like this. You may not. Sounds morbid, but it isn't. It's just reality. One of these days, one of us is going to look on the casket of the other, in all probability. Not likely we'll go together unless the Lord comes. Oh, what a delightful thought that is, huh? But one of these days, one of us is going to be looking at the other. And if when I look down, if it's her first, and I see Myrna there, who I have lived and loved all of these years, uh, and if that's all there is, then that's a really futile existence. Hold that thought, because in a minute I have some good news. Really, really good news. Our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. And those who have fallen asleep, they've just perished. And then that verse 19 If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Isn't that true? If we're just telling a fable, uh, you know, there's there's an effect. Um, When when they come out with drugs, many times they'll use, there's a name for this test, some of you might remember it, but they will give the, the drug to a certain number of people And then to other people, they'll give a placebo. And the placebo is nothing. It's it's the effect of a sugar pill. You've heard of this kind of thing happening. And what they want to see is the results. And the amazing thing is that people respond to placebos. Uh, They feel a lot better because of that pill, and it's just sugar or whatever. It's just a carbohydrate or something that can't do them any good. Hopefully no harm either. But they respond to the placebo. And, you know, much of the world today, this morning, much of the world believes that's exactly what we're doing with Jesus Christ. Do you know that? you realize that? If you walk out in the mall today and start talking to people, there is no question in my mind what there are people that will say, if you want to believe that, it's okay. And they'll say, as they walk away, oh, those poor deluded people, right? 
And, and that's the world we live in. That's what people believe. They believe it's a placebo. Well, folks, read verse 20 with me, because here's the good news. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. They're first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has been raised from the dead. Doesn't the picture change now? Doesn't it? Doesn't everything change now? Because no longer is that futility of an empty faith real. Because Christ is risen from the dead. We saw all that evidence. 500 people attested to it at one time. The people who knew him best, who were going to lose their lives because of it, testified to Christ's resurrection. And, and people who had nothing to gain, everything to lose, testified to the reality of Christ's resurrection. Christ was resurrected from the grave. I know it is so. And so do you. It is so. Christ was raised from the grave, and he lives today. And then the last part of that verse says, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I've used this illustration hundreds of times, but I still like the illustration. And you may have heard it here, you've heard it elsewhere, but the first fruits, how many of you are gardeners? You raise a garden? Some of us. Myrna and I have raised a garden for most of our life, with very few years exception. And we, we plant our, our crop about normal. Memorial Day is always kind of the target. We try to have things in the ground by Memorial Day. Plants, it doesn't make sense in Ohio to put them in much earlier than that. I don't want to run out and cover them all the time. So we, we plant them. And then a month goes by, and pretty soon on those plants, particularly the tomatoes, you start to see little green tomatoes, right? And then you start watching them. And our habit is to walk down there in the evening, almost every evening. We walk down and look at the garden. Uh, you know, a watched pot never boils, my mom used to say. Well, a watched tomato never ripens. Did you know that? You watch it and you watch it and you watch it. And sometimes it rots and sometimes something gets it. But then pretty soon you start to see one turn pink. And then it turns red. And that first tomato in the spring is really a delight. Isn't that, isn't that good stuff? You pull that first tomato, and then within two weeks, you have so many tomatoes, you have any idea what to do with them all, right? But that first fruit, you know that right behind it, here come the rest. Christ is the first fruits of those that slept, folks. And right behind it, there come the rest. That's us. And Christ's resurrection assures ours, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he goes on with an explanation. I'm going to read down through verse 28. And, and part of this is fleshed out in the next section when Nate clears all this up next week. I'm going to muddy it up, and we're going to leave it to Nate to clear it up next week. That sound okay? But with just a little bit of explanation, I'm going to read this section starting at... Uh, Verse 21 and going down to the end of that paragraph. For as by a man came death, who's he talking about? What man? Adam. Okay. Well, death was passed on through Adam to his whole race. So by a man came death. For a man, or by a man also, has come the resurrection of the dead. The man Adam brought his death. The man Jesus brought us life. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now the word all there is not a universal term. It's all who have placed their faith, their trust in him. All of those who have trusted Christ as Savior are going to be made alive. The rest, uh, they will be alive, but they'll be alive for judgment not to go to be with him. For those of us, and we keep reading through this chapter, we'll see this. It is a it is a exciting prospect to think. Someday, I, I quoted this last week, but someday to think that this body will be fashioned like Christ's glorious body. If I have a body just like his, and so are you, throw those glasses away, Right? Throw those dental appointments away and all the rest. We're going to have a perfect body just like Jesus' body. And this glorified body is going to be something to behold. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to feel really good. Really good. Because it's going to be just like his body. And here's the best part of that story is that it's going to be free from sin. It's going to be free from the effects of sin but it's also going to be free from the very presence of sin. No more sin. I don't have to look in the mirror and feel guilty anymore. I'd say hallelujah to that because I'm going to have a new body, and it's going to be just like Jesus. And his resurrection assured that for me. Verse 23, but each in his own order. So he's going to lay out the order of this. Christ the first fruits, then... At his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. Now look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That Christ in his resurrection destroyed the last enemy. You young people... This may not be as important to you as it is some of us. But the grave, the power of the grave has been destroyed. You know, I probably have done, I don't know how many funerals I've moderated that over the years, uh, a lot. It seemed like for a while there was one every month or every couple weeks. and, And there were people that I knew and that I'd walked with. And I could walk into Bob Ross, no relation, but I could walk into Bob Ross's casket and Marge Ross, and I knew who they were. I'd spent years with Bob and Marge Ross, and I knew their walk, and I knew their love for Jesus, and I knew of their redemption. I was sure of it. And let me tell you, their bodies were failing and breaking down on them, and it was not a sad day. Oh, I was sad for me and sad for the family. But it was not a sad day, the day I said goodbye to Bob and Marge Ross. It was a great day. And it should be. You know, our testimony left behind, folks, ought to be so clear that, yeah, hopefully people love us enough that they're a little bit sad. You know, we haven't, haven't done so many bad things to them that they don't even like to think of us being there. But, but when they walk up to that grave or they walk up to that casket, and they look over us, they can say, hallelujah, they've been delivered, they're finished with this journey. And that's not a scary thought. Do you know why it's not a scary thought? Because my Savior, the Lord Jesus, was resurrected. 
Yes, he died for my sins. He paid the judicial sentence for my sin when he died. That's true. When he died, he paid for our sin. And he was buried. It gave evidence. And not only he fulfilled his word, but it gave evidence to the fact that he was really dead. He put him in a grave three days. He's dead. He's gone. But when he was raised, it was God's rubber stamp on everything that had happened. God saying, approved, accepted, done. And the grave's empty. Um, That's good news. That's really, really, really good news, isn't it? Last couple of verses. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then pick it up at uh, verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. That's a really confusing verse. Those couple verses, what's he saying? You know, in the Trinity, Christ and the Father and the Spirit are co-equal. They are, they are beyond our understanding, but they're co-equal, with co-equal power, with co-equal uh, uh, authority, with co-equal eternal nature. They're, they're, they're all three uh, bearing every attribute of God, every one. Every attribute. The Holy Spirit has every attribute of the Son. The Son has every attribute of the Spirit. But there was a point in time and a point that's going to bear fruit for eternity where Christ said, I will subordinate myself, still being equal. Folks, I can't understand it. I just know it's so. I will subordinate myself to the Father, and I'll go to earth as a man and become sin for mankind. Well, that was long before you and I were born. That was long before Adam was born that the Lord decided that. But the second person of the Trinity, very God himself, decided to come to earth. And he conquered earth's enemies. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. And one of these days, all of that is going to be laid back as a trophy with a new heaven and a new earth and a fully redeemed and transformed people, it's going to be laid back as a trophy to the throne. Uh, That's coming. I think that's, in general, what that's saying here. So we've looked at good news and bad news. And look at that last couple verses. Steve and I were talking this week, and we were actually talking about this section. And he came across a message, and I love the image of it. And I just had to use it somewhere. But it seems to describe these last couple verses. And the message title was Living Between Two Easters. Now just work with that a second. Living Between Two Easters. The first Easter was signifying what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That's the first one. That's the important one, the resurrection of Christ. But I'm living today between that Easter and another Easter. And in another Easter, it's going to be the resurrection of Phil Ross and all of us who are in Christ. And so we live today between two Easters. Now, why is that important? Because both of those things, those bookmarks, the two Easters, are motivating to our life. And and if you read what comes, you'll see how motivating it is. Because today, we are living in light 
of the resurrection of Christ, we're living in light of our own resurrection someday. Someday to be with the Lord forever. So with that in mind, and it's amazing how many times this phrase comes up in Scripture, seeing all these things are so, what manner of people ought we to be? Both Peter and Paul said something like that. What kind of people ought we be, if that's true, right? What kind of people should we be? Should we be living our life in light of eternity? Should we be alive? That acronym is a good one. Always living in view of eternity. Should we be alive? I think so. Well, there's a confusing verse again in verse 29. Let me just clarify it. I believe it's fairly easy to see. Uh, as we are living between two Easter's, he says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized in behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. Okay, listen close. This is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean I'm going to be baptized by proxy. Uh, unfortunately, the Mormon church does this. If you have Mormon relatives, you will someday be baptized by proxy because that's what they believe. They, they will take the name, my mom and dad, I'm sure, were, I have a cousin that was Mormon, and my mom and dad were close to my cousin, and I have no question in my mind, but what at one point, one of them identified as Raymond Ross, my father, and was baptized. Another one identified as Kate Ross and was baptized. That's baptism by proxy. And that goes against everything in Scripture, but it also goes against everything in this text. Uh, it can't be. And so let me tell you what I believe it is. There were people who came to faith in Christ and were baptized. And they lived their life, however. And then some of them had already died. We know that from earlier in the chapter. Some of them had already died. And along come new people. And they embrace the faith. They come to saving knowledge of Christ. And now they stand in the gap. They stand in the ranks. They're baptized in place of those who have gone before. Is that... You understand it's in place of, as a substitute for. Now, if the resurrection isn't real, the gospel isn't real, then why should, should those people embrace the faith, especially knowing in this case that there could be a penalty for it, why would they embrace the faith and they be baptized and replace the others? I don't know if that's muddied it up or made it clear, but I believe it's saying in place of. Because the, the preposition used there, I think King James translates it for, and it's it translated in different ways in different uh, translations. This one says on behalf of the dead, but it, I think it's the idea in place of the dead. So that being that out of the way, all he's saying there, I believe, in the context is, if the resurrection isn't real, then why are more people embracing the faith and being baptized? That's kind of a futile experience. It's no value to it. Then he goes on, he follows that same line of thinking, and he, he personalizes it. He says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If that's all there is to life, let's keep dancing, 
right? Isn't that what he's saying? If that's all there is to life, break out the booze, let's have a ball. Because this is stupid. He, he paid an enormous price, ultimately, with his life for the gospel. And he said, if Christ isn't raised, this is a ridiculous venture. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm wasting my life. I die every day. I, I die to self every day. I give up all those little things that kind of would make me happy. And, and not only that, I'm persecuted. I'm hurt physically. And if Christ's resurrection isn't real, why would I do that? And the same thing's true of us. It follows. The logic follows. That's why I think verse 29 says what it says. So he goes on. And he, in uh, verse 33, he says, a strange little verse stuck in here. Be not deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Well, what's he talking about? In this context, what's he saying? Some of the people said, there's no resurrection. You're wasting your time. He said, don't give those people an ear. Don't do it all. Because if you lay down the dogs with the dogs, you wake up with fleas, somebody said, right? And don't, don't listen to them. Don't hear them. Don't spend time with them. Because they don't know the truth. And, and that's true of us, too. We don't want to listen too much to somebody who denies the Lord Jesus. I, I stood in a parking lot with a man one day who had been a professing Christian and for about 10 minutes, he went into this profane dry, diatribe speaking against the Lord. Some know who I'm talking about. My family probably knows. And he went on and on and on. And, and you know, I, I told him in the course of that, I said, you know, I pray for you. And he's, that's what started it. He said, don't you pray for me. And then he won and called God all kinds of ugly things and and just stood as opposed to God as he could stand. Well, I can't stand a lot of that. And I decided right then and there that I was not going to stand in a parking lot again with him. To my shame, I didn't pray for him for a long time. Uh, I do now. Do you know, i got to finish that story, that man was broken. I mean broken. Uh, broken beyond anything I could describe. And I'm not going to tell you any more, except that you just have to believe me. That man was broken. Within a few years, he was on a hunting trip, and his life changed in a way that just uh, all of his rebellion went away. Uh, but so did his health. So did a portion of his mind. Uh, everything else went away, too because he had spent too much time chewing on his anger toward God. And for me to stand there and listen to it, I can't do that. I don't want to be influenced by that, and neither can you. We've got to watch where we spend our time. And, and if people, we can defend the Lord. We can be an apologist. But we can't continue to assimilate what's being said. It'll destroy our faith. It'll hurt us. Then notice the last couple of verses. We're still living between the two Easter's. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. Now, I don't know if he's talking about literal physical drunkenness. Could be. Uh, could be they were Im imbibing lots of alcohol and getting drunk. Could be. But I think he's probably just saying, You're, you are so intoxicated with your life today 
He says, wake up out of that. This isn't all there is. Wake up! I would say it like he would say it, from your drunken stupor, as is right. Don't go on sinning. Then notice the last sentence, last two sentences. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. I don't like those verses. They make me uncomfortable. They make you uncomfortable? Do they make you uncomfortable at all? Some have no knowledge of God. Some of the people who were so adamant against the resurrection, they didn't have a clue who God was. They didn't know a thing about him. And he's saying, these people, folks, you need to represent the Lord to them. We studied this morning, we started um, in our ABF, the book of Jonah. And that's a really interesting little book. And you usually think of it as little kids, but there are some very adult lessons in Jonah. And, you know, Jonah was the reluctant prophet. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to speak for the Lord. And finally, after the Lord did all that he had to do, you know the story, uh, he went and he spoke. He never liked it, but he spoke truth. Even on the ship, he spoke truth. He said, I worship the Lord God who is the creator of all. That's who I worship. And the people around him said, by, by example, we saw it, We'll worship worship him too. We we believe that. We believe they were in panic, but they worshiped him too. So the reluctant prophet went out with a message of the God, the only God, and and people began to listen in spite of his heart. I I don't want to go that way. (laughs) I want to go willingly. There are some people, folks, this morning who do not have the knowledge of God. They don't understand. They don't have a clue about the resurrection. And maybe just saying to them, do you know I have a living Savior? His name's Jesus. And do you know that that Jesus, as the gospel begins in this chapter, that Jesus died for my sins. And, and I love him, and I know that he loves me, and he loves you too, because he died for your sins. And maybe just, just to tell people, about this Jesus so that they would know. That's living between two Easter's. That's with a view to what's happened and a view to what will yet happen. Well, we've looked at some very bad news and uh, hope I didn't ruin your morning. But that if was not fulfilled because Christ is risen. And we've looked at that really, really good news. Christ is risen. And then how do we live this life out? Well, we live it out as his ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation. We've got a good word for people. You know, maybe this morning as you listen, you're just not sure at all of your own salvation. You're just not real confident. Uh, This would be a good day to settle that. And if we close out in just a moment, if you're not sure, you want to pray, a couple of us will be down front. We'd love to talk with you about that. If your heart's troubled over whatever and you just want to pray, we would like to do that, to pray with you. And we don't have all the answers. We don't pretend to. But we know a God who does, and we want to direct you to him. Why don't we pray? Lord, thank you that the, the bad news that we read about, all of those ifs are not true. 
that those conditions are never fulfilled because, because, Lord, of the resurrection. Christ is risen. And, Lord, as we offer up prayer to you today, our mind sees them coming up before our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and to the throne and before your Spirit. And, Lord, we, we just... Uh, pray that that our hearts would be lifted up in in the reality of Christ's resurrection, that the doubts would be erased. Yeah, it's counterintuitive to everything we know on this earth, and yet it's real. Many have attested to it, and we this morning attest to it too, that Jesus is real. Lord, if there's someone here who has never placed their faith, their trust, maybe a young one, a little one, maybe a big one, maybe an old one, anyone who's never placed their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus, would you convince them? We can't do it, but you can. Would you convince them by your spirit this morning of their need that they'd come to you? Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the precious promises. Thank you for leaving us here with a mission on earth. And we ask all of this and pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen.